Think of life as a baseball doubleheader, where game one is a results game. And in the outer world, you're producing results, making money, whatever you want. But game two in that doubleheader is the experience game around what it's like to be you. And too often, people will split that doubleheader. They win game one. Yeah, I'm making money. But they might say, I don't enjoy being me. They're not winning game two. That is information shared by sports psychologist, Dr. Tom Hansen, who I get to spend time with today and share with you in this podcast about one of the wake up eager leader habits, enter the zone, which in our verbiage is about bringing the best of who you are to your work so that you can be most effective, you can wake up eager, and you can help and influence others. And in Tom's verbiage, when he's working with athletes, it's about helping the athletes bring their A game to what they're doing. So they bring the results that they want, but they also do it by being who they are and bringing the best of who they are. So it's going to be very interesting. You're going to enjoy hearing about what he learned about superior performance by the interviews he did when he talked to Hall of Fame baseball players like Hank Aaron. He has those interviews and he's also worked with major league players plus all kinds of athletes over the years. And so he's going to share lots of tips and insights about how do you get into the top 5% in your field. And it's a mechanic and physical thing, but it's Also, and mostly what we talk about is mindset and things you do with your mind. And you'll like hearing what Hank Aaron shared when he was riding around running errands with Hank Aaron so they could have their discussion. It's really good stuff. He has distilled down some of the mental aspect of performing under pressure by creating something very simple and it's very wise. It's ABC. So you'll get to hear what that stands for. You can begin using that immediately to help you when you're under pressure. Something we talk about a lot, it's a recurring theme with Dr. Hansen, is how important it is for coaches and leaders to provide guidance specific to each player, to their needs and their current situation. And so we touch on that. We talk about that. We also touch on he is a student of axiology, which is something that I am also passionate about and use It's the acumen under the hood part of the trimetrics assessment. And we talk a little bit about how he uses that and the DISC assessment in his work when he's coaching players. Good information, fun dialogue. Can't wait to share it with you. Michael, hit it. Welcome to the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast, a show designed for leaders, trainers, and consultants who are responsible for employee selection and professional development. Each episode is packed full with insider tips, best practices, expert interviews, and inspiration. Please welcome the host who is helping leaders, trainers, and consultants everywhere, Susie Price. Hey there, welcome. Episode number 47. My name is Susie Price and I am an assessment analyst, a professional facilitator, an author, the producer of this podcast and the founder of Priceless Professional Development. And I am a lover of learning and taking insights and sharing them. And so it's just my honor and privilege to bring this information to you today. I get such a buzz. You know, we talk about being who you are. And in episode number 46, we also talked about Enter the Zone with Sarah Derenbacher. And she talked about when do you most feel alive? And I tie that always to the assessments with Trimetrics. And I noticed this last night after this interview and my interview with Sarah and writing up these notes. 
when do I most feel alive? Well, one place I most feel alive is in putting this podcast together. It's super energizing and fun for me. I really do appreciate you listening. We have a good number of downloads, which I feel good about. But more importantly, it's fun to put your energy towards something that fills your tank. So I say all that to say, one, whoa, this is fun. And two, to encourage you to pay attention to when your energy lifts, you are getting that second game in the double header about liking when you're being you, you know, and using your strengths and your interests and your preferences because they do matter and they're really important. And it is a big part of being top in your field is to tap into who you are and what works for you and bring that to the game that you're playing. I want to mention Audible. They do provide a great service with audiobooks, and they have an offer for Wake Up Eagle Workforce listeners. If you are new to Audible and you sign up for them using our link, you get a free 30-day trial and a free audiobook that you can download. And the link to it is audibletrial.com forward slash Wake Up Eager Workforce. So you just say audibletrial.com forward slash and then put in the name of this podcast. They have over 150,000 titles. You can listen to them on your iPhone, Android, Kindle, MP3 player, and some fun books that I thought I would mention. I always mention what I'm listening to because I have an ongoing thing with them. I get a book a month and I actually buy extra books sometimes. It's just easy to listen to them like it's easy to listen to podcasts. That's why they support podcasts because usually those who like podcasts are either in their car or they just like learning on the go or when they're working out. But when I was on some trips recently where I was driving, I get impatient driving in the car or sitting in the car. If I'm a passenger, I just get a little restless because it just seems like you're not doing anything. There's a couple of fun books that I listened to while driving or going on trips. One was The Girl on the Train. That's an awesome book by Paula Hawkins. If you haven't read that, it's a great mystery. I love mysteries and the stories and you just don't know where she's going with all of this. She's on a train and she's seeing this family every time she passes the train. So anyway, The Girl on the Train by Paula Hawkins, awesome. Wrinkle in Time by Madeline Laingle, that's awesome as well. It's the story that was recently made into a movie. It's not the movie version, but it's the timeless classic. And then I also like any kind of, and this captures my husband's attention, beat em up, shoot em up type books. <laughs> and David Baldacci had a good one, Endgame. And so he and I listened to that last time we were on a trip. So I think it's like watching a movie while driving. You don't see anything, but it paints the picture. And it's a great distraction and entertainment and fun. So audibletrial.com forward slash wake up eager workforce. You can get books on there about learning and knowledge, but you can also have a lot of fun with a lot of those books with your family or by yourself in the car. So on to our series today. We are continuing our series around the five wake up bigger habits for leaders that we focus on here at Priceless Professional Development. They spell out the word eager, enter the zone, activate greatness, grow trust, evaluate job fit, recalibrate daily. And these are habits that are important for leaders to own and make habits so that they can wake up eager and create the powerful culture and business that they want to create. The first episode of this series was Enter the Zone, and it was my interview, as I mentioned a little bit ago, with Sarah Derenbacher. She talks about Rochester Institute of Technology, where she coached a basketball team into the NCAA tournament when they were on a losing streak prior to that. So she talks about the mental game and 
That's episode number 46, and you can find it in the show notes or find it via pricelessprofessional.com forward slash zone. This episode with Dr. Tom Hansen is episode number 47, and you can find it at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash zone two, the number two, zone two. So that's the way to access this online and encourage you to get the app. We have an Android and an iPhone app. They're free. If you have those on your phone, then it's real easy to listen because you get notified that there is a new episode. And you also can leave comments or leave a review and you can click on the show notes all from your iPhone or Android. So what is Enter the Zone? I'm going to touch on that. Then I'm going to tell you Tom's background. It's when you're working and being at your best with limited resistance or inner tension. And what I encourage to cultivate this habit is spending time every day training and focusing your time, money, and energy so that you're working with a clear mind and a sense of purpose so that you're aligned with your work and what you've got to go do every day. Even when it's a tough day that you're ready for it, you're up for it, and you wake up eager. So it's a conscious choice. You have to choose this, I believe. I don't think it just happens by itself. Because there's so many distractions and pressure on us. And it's about managing your mind, your sense of well-being physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, growing your confidence, expertise. It's a mix of things and it's important. But it's tapping into all of who you are and bringing it to what you do. Dr. Tom Hansen does this in his work with executives and with athletes. Let me tell you a little bit about his background. He earned his PhD with a specialization in sports psychology from the University of Virginia in 1991. He served as the Cavaliers hitting coach for three seasons. He then became a tenured professor and head baseball coach at Skidmore College in New York. And then he started his coaching and consulting company in 1997, headsupperformance.com. He authored a book, Play Big, Mental Toughness Secrets That Take Baseball Players to the Next Level. It won ABCA's Best Show Award. It's a great story. We talk about it a little bit. It's a ball player who's struggling. So he's having a hard time being successful in something that he really wants to be successful in. And he meets someone who is a phantom coach. He doesn't know where the guy came from. The guy seems to understand him and has great advice. So it's like a mentor that helps guide him. And anybody could benefit from the book. It's a very popular book. It was easy to read. I didn't read all of it, but I read part of it. He helps this player with his mental game. 150,000 copies have been sold and it's super popular. So we'll have a link to that in the show notes at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash zone number two. Tom is a leading authority of mental game assessments, which are used for both player development and selection in baseball, softball, and other sports. He actually helped craft the baseball version of axiology. And we talk about that. He has extensive experience in both sports and business. He was formerly the full-time director of performance enhancement with the New York Yankees. And he's also consulted with Texas Rangers, Anaheim Angels, and Minnesota Twins in professional baseball. He's got many corporate clients, including American Express, Kaiser Permanente, Microsoft, just to name a few, and also numerous small business owners. He's co-authored another book, which we talk about in the end. He shares some insight around that with his wife, who is a master certified coach. That book is Who Will Do What by When, and I'll have a link to that in the show notes. He lives in Tampa, Florida, and he has a son who he mentions. It's also in baseball, 
tough and great at the same time to have your dad as a sports psychologist and a baseball expert when you're 15 years old. But his son's name is CJ and his daughter is Angelina. Let's get into the interview. Hi, Tom. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you here. Great. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for taking the time. Hey, we're going to start with our quirky questions to get to know you better outside of your wonderful and amazing resume and background. I want to talk a little bit about your favorite guilty pleasure TV show. What is it and why? Well, right now I'd have to pick Jane the Virgin on uh, Netflix. My wife got started on it, I think, and now I was just commenting last night. It's sort of like a like bubblegum. You just come in and, oh, now he's with her. And last episode, <laughs> I thought he was with her. So they're bouncing around and, and she's got a child having been a virgin was accidentally artificially inseminated. How much more quirky can you get than that? That's pretty quirky. <laughs> yeah. I've not heard of that show. So you just like it because it's just so odd and off the cuff. Yeah, exactly. It's bouncy. There's sort of a narrator that comes in and it's just really playful and it's really light. It has a laugh okay. about something, something, you know, just has a good energy to it and, and puts me in a good mood. Well, there you go. That's enough reason right there. Anything yep. that interests you or entertains you is good. It's good escapism, a good visit. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. How about what's your favorite possession? Well, a favorite possession, I would say, a hard one. I'd like to think, well, I'm not about possession. <laughs> but right, I do, right. I've got a copy here, really two of them, of my doctoral dissertation at the University of Virginia. I did it. It's called The Mental Aspects of Hitting. And I interviewed Hank Aaron, Rod Carew, Stan Musial, Kari Strimsky, Pete Rose, and just talked to them, picked their brain about their mental approach to hitting. And the more time passes, the more I realize, whoa, that was, <laughs> that was pretty cool. I mean, I always thought it was cool, but it's gaining significance for me that I really just went for it. It represents a lot of things. It's the content of it in terms of Say Hank Aaron, the all-time total basis leader, like telling me, hey, this is by far the most important part about hitting, and no one has ever asked me that before. Gives me a goosebump every time I even share that story, which is very often. Then also what it represents for me in terms of just going for it. I just say, oh, yeah, I'm going to interview Hall of Fame hitters. Like, well, how are you going to get them? I don't know, but I'll find some way. And then it really came together in a very, call it serendipitous, but I really feel like it was because I was so on purpose and so aligned with what I really ought to be doing that I really caught breaks, like the whole doors open that, for me that wouldn't even be a closed door for someone else just yeah. because of, I mean, there's a bunch of stories I could go into of how I ended up getting this guy or that guy to do an interview. I felt like it was who I was being and being on purpose and playing big. So for all those reasons, both the content and the process, that's a favorite possession. Wow. And it's such a match to where you are today and where you were headed yep. back then. And like you said, it was your purpose. And when you ignite your purpose or you do the things that are make you feel like you're on purpose, then things just happen. And they did. Yeah. That's amazing. Absolutely. Who was who your favorite interview? Was it Hank Aaron or someone? Yeah. Yeah, by far. It was a couple hours with him. It was kind of a fluky thing of how I ended up with the interview. And he ended up, you just want to talk, right? I go, yeah, because I went down to Atlanta, flew down to do the interview. And he said, oh, great. I've got some stuff I need to do. Can we drive around while we do it? I go, sure. I said, wait, you mean you know, we're going to do some errands? And he looked at me like, yeah. 
of course, if your name's Aaron, you don't hear your own name as a pun. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, he didn't. <laughs> I didn't think I didn't. that was funny. <laughs> and we ended up driving around, and like I said, and I said, hey, talking about the mental aspect of hitting, how do you do it? And this is what I talk about with executives. I mean, with athletes or executives, he's like the best in the world. He's a top 5% guy every year for 23 years. If you know your baseball stats, it's like 30 home runs, a 305 batting average, and 100 RBIs. That's his average year, which would put him in the top 5% of every year. He did it for 23 years. Like, how did you do that? And he broke Babe Ruth's home run record, and it was like, hey, no black guy's going to break Babe Ruth's record. You're going to be in Montreal July 4th, 5th, or 6th. You're going to die one of those days. And he kept hitting home runs. Like, how did you do that? And wow. he said, well, it was all on how you prepare yourself to do battle. And I go, you know, PhD boy, <laughs> how did you yeah. prepare? He said, well, I would visualize, I would imagine what was going to happen, what I wanted to have happen. I said, give me an example. Okay, Jerry Kuzman pitching for the Mets tomorrow night. So it starts the night before, you know, after the one game, I said, okay, Kuzman's pitching. What does he throw? A little of this, he throws that and this. And what has he uh, cool. done to me during the day? The leading up to uh, the games, he would visualize. The other guys would do other things. He wouldn't lay down and do it. He would just play in his head. And then when he was on deck in the hole at the plate, that's what he was doing. So he got so focused on the ball. It just felt like he had been there before all day. So he was really locked in. And that's why he said, I have a lot of ability, but it was my mental approach how I prepared myself to do battle that enabled me to be so focused. He said it was really Performance-wise, it's his focus, but his focus was groundwork, was sourced by his mental prep of visualizing what he wanted to have happen. And then in the end, he said, you know, hey, this is the most important part about hitting, and no one's ever talked to me about this before. And then at the end of it, yeah, Yeah. it's like, oh, they want to talk about my wrists, like the mechanics. They want to talk about what I was doing with my hands. And it's like, oh, yeah, you're a real wrist hitter. It's like, well, everyone has wrists. And so, but it was my mental preparation. And I said, that focus, could you always do that? He said, no, 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 I didn't develop it. So you learn it through repetition, like your ABCs. So his whole life had prepared him for this home run quest where he's tracking down Babe Ruth and he's getting death threats. He came in second to Richard Nixon in 1974 in terms of amount of a male he got. But because oh. under pressure and at the home run, if you go up there to try to hit a home run, you almost never do because you've been pressed and try too hard. And you're efforting, you're not in the flow. or Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. He was getting dead. I kind of didn't know all that, really. Yeah. Wow. The kicker then was at the end, he reached out his hand and said, thank you. Very authentically, like he... I don't know. He felt good about it. I don't, I'm confident of that. I don't make any other words, but it was like, yeah, it's like he felt heard and huh, it's like I had a chance to get out. What really made the difference for him. That's really a foundation of anything else that we talk about and performance. It really comes back to that. It's like, how do you be a top five percenter? Well, it's a mental game. And isn't it interesting as much as he's been interviewed he says to you, no one's ever asked me about the mental part. Exactly. Well, they certainly never asked him. Never asked it in a way that follow, you did where you could elicit those like kind a, of answers. Right, right. I was going to say like a follow-up question that would take it deeper. Because he would yeah. sit there and think. He'd be driving and 
Like, um, I'd say, like, were you visualizing yourself like you'd see yourself on TV or through your own eyes looking out at the ball? Hmm. It's like had to stop and think. It's like, no, it's through my own eyes. It's like what I, what I would see when I'm hitting. And other examples like that where he had never articulated it before. Uh, and that's also why it's people who are really good at things often aren't the best teachers at it because they don't really understand what they were doing. And yeah, so they were dissected but, it. They're just somehow got right. into a flow where they did it, which says to me that that's possible. But if we're not in it, it's nice to have somebody like you or hopefully me as I do what I do, dissect what the steps are so that other people can do or mimic. Or That's amazing. So exactly. And so it's, it, it ends up being that as, well, what do you have players do or what do you have executives do? It's like, well, from a resource standpoint, it's like, well, your own past, your own self. It's like know yourself and know what you need to do to play your best. Yep. And it's like, okay, when I was at my best, what do I do? I mean, a common exercise for me would be to go back to a time, from any time at all, when you had your A game. And then I have a template of ABCs where A is act big. How are you acting? How do you move? What's a rhythm, tempo, posture? B, how are you breathing? And then C, what are you committed to? Fat part of the bat on the ball or having this guy buy this gizmo or whatever it be. What are you committed to? And so you go out and do your ABCs, whether you're a shortstop or a salesman or a CEO. I'm going to act big, breathe big, and then commit big. And then B, I use it, just do it. Do it. And you can only control yourself. So a good question is, how do you do that? How should I control myself? And it'd be like, hey, one way is to do your ABCs. Yep. So act big, breathe big, commit big is a process where someone could say, okay, I want to be the top 5%. I want to be in the zone. I want to bring my best A game. Give us an example of act big, breathe big, commit big for a player. And you do it in your book, Play Big. Mm -hmm. Um, But give us an example of that, and then we'll talk about it in relation to a leader. But I think if we can see somebody else outside of what we do every day as a leader, people that are listening could analyze it a little bit. So give me an example of that for a player, an athlete. All right. So, again, I'm going to say that a player wants to be great at being himself. He can't be someone else. So use yourself as a reference. So go pick a time from any time at all when you felt totally unstoppably confident and go back there. And you can do it listening right now. You go back and see what you saw hear what you heard, and feel what you felt. You notice how those feelings start to come in right now as you just really connect with that feeling or with that moment. Put yourself right back there and make the images bigger and brighter, the sounds louder, and the feelings are coming even stronger. And now notice how you're moving. How are you acting? What's your posture like? What are your shoulders? Where's your head? And look on your face. And Are you moving fast or slow? And then notice how you're breathing. How do you breathe when you're that confident, when you're feeling that good about yourself? How and when do you breathe for a hitter, say, when you're outside of the batter's box, stepping into the box? Notice your breathing. Is it deep and full or short and shallow? And then finally, what are you committed to? What are you up there to do? Oh, like drive the ball into the gaps, put the fat part of the bat in the ball, square it up, put the barrel on it, mash it, crush it. <laughs> what is it? And then it'll take them out of that 
and say, okay, well, let's look at the first thing of acting. What do you notice about how you're acting? And the guy will say, well, head up, chest up, and I'm walking slow. Like Mike Trout is really the best player in baseball today. I worked with my friend Ken Vizza for years coming through the Angels organization, and Ken asked him, well, what did you get out of my, our conversations? He said, well, walk slow to the plate. This is the first thing. Walk slow to the plate because then a big danger in sports and anything else is that things speed up on you. And yeah. it goes really fast. <laughs> you go on guy... really what happens is you're moving and you're not in your body, I think, sometimes. Would you say? Absolutely. And sometimes that's really yeah. good. And sometimes it's really bad. <laughs> um, yeah. Because if it occurs, like it's speeding up on you, like, yeah. whoa, it's, everything's going fast, that's generally yeah. not good. You know, yeah. a race car driver going 200 miles an hour, it seems slow. You don't want it to yeah. seem fast. And yeah. so yeah. he controls okay. his body, controlling his body. This is act big. The A is walk slow to the plate. So he's very conscious, making a deliberate choice there about how to act and then head up, chest up. And then B is breathe big, sticking with trout again. He said, well, I got to finish my breath and I stand outside the box. He doesn't always take a breath to watch him, but, but very often in the outside, take a breath. and finish that breath and now step into the batter's box. Because if it's, then he steps in right there, again, it's going to have sped up on him. Hitting, you want to slow the game down. The ball's coming fast enough. And then commit big. What are you trying to do? Most of these guys, I can't care. And it's like, well, I want to put the fat part of the bat on the ball. Stan usual, like my dad's hero. Some of the younger people might not know who he even is. But he's second all-time in total bases. And total bases, if you get a, a double, that's two bases. The home run is four bases. And right. so what was Hank the Aaron was a num- Stan Musial. Okay. Musial. Played for the Cardinals. He's a lifetime 331 hitter and another 20-plus year guy. So, like, that's the number one in two guys in total bases, meaning not only are you hitting for a long time, you're hitting for power. Because a single is just one base. And a home run again is four. So these are the top two guys. And that's what I interviewed. And Musial said, well, I knew where the fat part of the bat was, and I want to put it on the ball, which is an odd thing to say. It's like, I knew where the fat part of the bat was. Yeah. Who doesn't? Yeah. Except for when he says it, he means it. He's in his stance, and he's got an awareness of the best of his bat. Yeah. And that's the fat part is the best of his bat. And that's going to go to the ball, which is the most important thing. So then from an executive standpoint, I translated that to how do you get your best? Again, the fat part of the bat is the best, the sweet spot. How do you get your sweet spot to connect yep. with the most important thing? The most important thing in baseball is the ball. Yep. So that's how that extends out. So he was committed, his C, committed to putting the fat part of the bat in the ball. So you got... Here's how I'm going to act. Here's how I'm going to breathe. Here's what I'm going to be committed to. And I'm going to do that. That's all I control. I cannot control whether or not I get a hit. Yep. Even the best of them. It's like they do everything right and line out or not get a good pitch to hit or umpire disagrees with your decision. And so I'm going to go out and do a great job with what I can control. And here's a system helping me do that. And it's based on my own best performance. So. so if we think about that, we carry it to, I love the visual of all of this. And if we think about this in regard to, say, a leader is struggling with 
communicating effectively with their boss or mm-hmm. they're struggling with a presentation. So the way they could self-coach, self-talk, or dialogue with you would be to go back and remember when things were working well, when they felt their best in their role as a leader. Is that mm-hmm. how you would guide them? Because I think that's a key part that could get skipped over. People kind of say, okay, I'm going to act big, and you get all these neck-up types of statements. But if you get in your the visualization and actually feel and think about times that have gone well and that you felt well, it seems like that would give you totally different answers of what your ABC is going to be. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so, I mean, from the NLP world, it would be like state management and put yourself in a resourceful state. So if I'm going to go talk to my boss, or no matter what I'm going to do, and so much of our performance is state dependent, like the mindset or the mood, the energy that we're yeah. in, like what we're vibing. So for sure, you're going to want to get good at that generally. Just yeah. It's a skill that you develop. Like Hank Aaron said, it's like, well, you learn it through repetition. Yeah. So the ABCs can be a model of like, hey, I'm going to get up and do that. I'm going to do it a few times during the day very consciously. And going into a meeting, in the middle of a meeting, things aren't going well. Okay, let me get into a good resourceful, positive state. Okay, I'm going to move my body first, act big. I use my breath for now. What am I committed to here? What result do I want to produce? Or what's my process that I'm going to commit to now? So you'd think that. You could think that through. Okay, what do I want to have happen in this meeting with my boss? And then prepare it and visualize it like Hank Aaron. Visualize. Okay, what does he have to say? What would I say? Okay, he's going to ask me what my solution is. So I'm going to think through my solution first. Mm-hmm. So I come in with that, and I imagine walking out with him and I on the same page or some agreement. You know, I'm committed to producing this agreement. And so then you play it through in your head, and then you get into as good a state as you can, and then go knock on the door. See what happens. And yeah. then have sales. And it all might blow up. <laughs> Yeah, it may or may not, but at least you have some intentions and you come prepared. Yeah. And so I think the trigger for all of this, anytime, like I used to get slightly anxious, but it's a lot better. But it's not the greatest thing that that's the case because I'm in front of people all the time. But, you know, in speaking or with groups, I mean, I'm still pretty intense about it, no matter how big or small it is. But it has truly helped me to visualize. For me, what I have to do is I craft out exactly what's going to happen in each segment, just over-prepare. And then once I show up, I let all that go and it just happens. I believe that that visualizing in advance is huge. Otherwise, we do the opposite of what you're talking about. Instead of acting big, we act small. We get little because under stress, that's what we do. We shorten our breathing and then we just say, well, I don't even know what I'm committed to. I'm just like, okay, whatever. I'll take whatever. Exactly. So that's Exactly. And you become reactive or you become a victim. Yeah. A victim of your circumstances rather than a player who is playing. It's like you want to have it be that world, you know, that your life occurs from the inside out rather than from the outside in. And this is a big part of that. Yep. I love the ABCs. That is brilliant. I came up with it to speak to an eight-year-old baseball team. I was in Chicago for something to speak to older guys, and then the guy, oh, could you do something at eight? Eight in the morning, I'll have these eight-year-olds. Oh, sure. 
and then I was in the hotel and I was like, you know, what am I going to say? Yeah. And I said, okay, well, if I could only say one thing, what would it be? It would be how to move. If I had five seconds with someone to go out before they competed, I would spend it on, hey, act confident. Act like you know what you're doing. Yeah. Be so, oh, breathing. It's close, one and two, but breathing is huge. I wrote a book called Heads Up Baseball. And the other day I looked and it was number 12 best-selling baseball book yesterday. Uh, oh, my day, gosh, day how cool is that? Yeah. And I wrote it with Ken Revisa in 93. Wow. 1993, I wrote that book. So we have a Heads Up Baseball 2 right now at headsupbaseball2.com, but it somehow it really hasn't caught on. It's like a year, year and a half old. But anyway, the breathing, when I was doing the research for that book, Ken had worked with a lot of major league players. We went around and I interviewed them and I said, what's the most helpful thing that you've gotten in your work with Ken? And, oh, the breathing, far and away. They also said, taking yeah. a breath before each pitch, the breathing most helpful thing. And then Ken was a little disappointed, I think, because he wanted it to be something that maybe higher brow than that. But <laughs> yeah, I was breathing. like, okay, breathe. Anybody can say that. I have, <laughs> I have plenty of executives that have said the same thing. It's like, oh, to go out a good week. It's like, okay, what was the most helpful thing? Well, I really noticed my breathing in the meetings. <laughs> yeah. And I would because I'd breathe because it calms you down. And then you can think more clearly. Then it's focus and concentration. Originally, it was concentrate was the first C, and then it was more uh, commit. You're all in rather than just yep. concentrate. So, yeah, you know, it's pretty cool. Act big. The book is play big. Act big. Breathe big. Yep. Commit big. So it really came out of talking to eight-year-olds, which works well for executives also. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, you know, I think the most profound things are simple things. It's all yeah. complicated. It hadn't been distilled down yet probably headed that way but this has and we recognize wisdom when we can relate to it otherwise it's not very wise because we can't relate to it Mm -hmm. this is great to talk about committing big because i think sometimes people say oh you know they're going to say something that sounds big but energetically it kind of shuts them down so it sounds good to others but it isn't really their next best step. Do you know what I'm talking about where somebody says, I'm going to run a marathon and they do two weeks and then they never do it? Or, um, (laughs) you know, it's like the goal sounds good and they feel good initially when they say it. If we're trying to bring the best of who we are, which means reducing internal resistance, having mental clarity. When I'm committing big, I know what it is for me. Like I will do what you said, what's in the immediate. They're very intentional about, okay, this is what's going to happen in that meeting today. I do that, like the teacher that you and I both know that does some dialogue around this calls it segment intending, where you just intend how you want the next part of whatever you're focused on to be. Hank Aaron and Stan Usual, they focus on something very specific. Talk a little bit about the differences between that, how you guide executives as well as athletes around committing in a way that's helpful and helps them get in the flow, in the zone. I start with my usual caveat about individual differences. I had a teacher, Julio Olaya, teach executive coaching or life coaching really back in 2000, took his course. And he was adamant about, hey, anytime you say something that's definitive, I'll bet you I can point to something that where the opposite is true. So end up with a lot of respect for individual differences. And I was talking this morning just about that with a guy who's like, well, talking to a bunch of softball coaches tomorrow. 
to create a safe environment where they really feel safe. It's a fun challenge. Well, there's also plenty of people in the Hall of Fame who were motivated by a fear of failure, and they were afraid of failing, and so that's what drove them, and they succeeded. So while that wouldn't be my first choice, it'd be hard to say fear in that case is always bad. So right. it's hard to know what's always. So a lot of it, again, would be when you've had your biggest successes, when it's helped you the most, or when you've been yeah, most successful, how have you done it? What really works for you? Like goal setting, someone would say, hey, say, set a big goal and tell people. Well, I think generally I would tell someone not to do that. Yeah, um, I don't think it really works for a lot of people. No, I think for some people, though. <laughs> right, and for some people it would. That's a really good idea. Yeah. Maybe it is for someone with the running a marathon, but it would be foolish to do with something at work. And so there's so much individual nuance as to what someone should do. If I really let myself think about all the exceptions to everything that I say, I would tie myself up in a knot. And what would the limit be so I know I've picked something that's going to help me set up my better chances of success or at least go into something confident, you know, to play big? What would the litmus test be? Would it be, hey, it feels right to me? It feels right in the moment? It feels empowering? What would you say? Yeah, I like your wake up eager. Is it helping you stay eager? Because you know, normally you'd set a goal or set an intention. It's like you'd have a sense of eagerness about it. I hope so. So that's a good barometer. When I think of writing a book, I'm going to write a book. Yeah. And now it's like, okay, let's go. And you're writing away. Then that's great. But if you think writing a book is like, oh, my gosh, a whole book. Look at all these words in this book. Yeah. I, can, I couldn't do that. <laughs> like, okay, we got to chunk <laughs> that this That might down. not be your big commit <laughs> right at the moment. <laughs> anyway. Got to chunk this down. And then it's like, and do you think in terms of writing a book? Or how about developing the habit of writing for an hour a day? Writing for an hour a day. Oh, yeah. I think that's great. So, yeah, without the focus on when you're going to have this done, but you're going to develop the process or the habit of writing for an hour a day, no holds barred. Okay, let it rip. And so that's just different ways to slice it that way. And in sports, say in baseball, if a guy is playing well, the game is one thing. Hey, what are you doing? I'm going to go play baseball. Okay, great. You know, I feel at home in baseball and I'm connected. Now I'm up to bat, and now I'm playing defense. Now I'm in the dugout. But it's all baseball. As soon as that guy's really struggling, then, in general, it's best to segment it down. It's like, okay, I'm in the hole, meaning I'm third up. What do I do in the hole? Well, i got to get my batting gloves. I'm going to do a great job of putting my batting gloves on. And I'm going to feel the Velcro. Okay, feel that Velcro. Good. All right, now I get my body ready. And I'm succeeding in this manageable segment. And now I'm in on deck. And now I'm walking to the plate. I'm going to take my right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot. And so the more you're struggling in general, the more breaking it down, into little segments and succeeding in the different segments as if you're moving through a submarine, you know, through the different doors. Should you do that? Well, that'll be great for some people. It might be a high C, conscientious. That would be a great thing because that's how they roll. And someone who's low in that element of process procedure, that would be a stupid thing to do. 
<laughs> it wouldn't work <laughs> because, for them. Yeah. Right. So it's like, well, you want to know these options and then know yourself and then connect those two dots for the current situation. Yeah. So sometimes commit big may be, if you're going through the ABC process, it will always relate to this feels right to me. It makes me feel alive, makes me feel ready, good to go. Whatever you do, it's whatever's particular to you in the moment. Because I used right, to like win in my uh, right. you know workshops and things, and it's like, okay, that still worked out, but it didn't feel like it needed to feel for me. And so just doing kind of the Hank Aaron visualization, seeing it all the way through feels better. So that's my barometer, but that doesn't mean it's anybody else's. So I get that. That's correct. My PhD advisor at Virginia, who let me do that dissertation, interviewing the hitters, a guy named Bob Rotello, who's still top golf sports psychology guy, might be the top sports psychology guy overall, but his thing was all about freed up and let go. You want these players to get freed up and let go. They'd practice a particular golfer to attend to practice very meticulously and work really hard, then come up short. And that's why they end up going to a sports psychologist. It's like, well, I'm just choking. I'm great in practice. Well, it's because you have this training mindset and you need to have a trusting mindset in competition. And you can't do that if you don't practice that or if you don't even think of it. I was talking to a, a young player last night. It was like he worked super hard and then is awful because he's pressing and too tight and trying too hard. Your homework is to have fun. Go have fun. Rotella would say, hey, Saturday night, if you're in contention, the more high-strung guy, it's like, you should go dancing. <laughs> go out dancing so that you're in a more freed-up But Get your mind off of the subject. You've prepared. You've done everything. Let it go. Like yeah, that. and have your energy freed flowing. But the, the kicker here is I remember someone asking, him, like, oh, so you want all the golfers to go for the green and two on a par five, which is a very aggressive strategy. It's designed to hit it in three shots. And you say, no, 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 no. In fact, I, pretty, I often advocate a very conservative strategy, but pick a conservative strategy, but then be totally confident, freed up and trusting and letting go inside of that. <sighs> you can slice things up in a way that helps you the most. In talking to a golfer who played poorly on Saturday, now going to Sunday, it's like, hey, Saturday's over. It has nothing to do with how you're going to play on Sunday, right? Start right over. It's like, you can be great on Sunday. And then the next guy's like, oh, that was great on Saturday. Awesome, man. You're on fire. It's going to roll right into Sunday. You're, <laughs> you know, that's just, Different advice for and different where like, people are in their mind, right? Right. And you ask him, it's like, hey, wait a second. It's one or the other, right? He goes, well, no, it's they want to play great. So you have to figure out, well, what's the thinking that's going to help me play great? Yeah. For the one guy, it's the completely separate things. For the other guy, they're totally related. But the common denominator is what's going to free me up to play great. And so it really becomes a matter of slicing things up at perspective athleticism, like being able to move around athletically from different perspectives that will help you both win what I call the doubleheader. I think of life as a doubleheader. Game one is a results game. Like in the outer world, producing results, making money, whatever you want. But game two is the experience game. Like what is it like to be you? And too often people will split that doubleheader and they'll win game one. It's like, yeah, I'm making money, but I don't really enjoy being me. And so I want to help people win a doubleheader and really enjoy being them as well as producing the results. Yeah. 
And I love that because we're talking about the name of the game, right, of life is get the results you want and be you while you do it. Mm-hmm. And many people listening in to this conversation have taken the trimetrics assessment. You alluded to the DISC part of it, but there's DISC, motivators, and then the acumen. And I know that you use a similar tool with athletes, and actually you help craft mm-hmm. a similar tool just for baseball, which I think is amazing. You're connected with people that I highly respect and learn from as well, the Medfords around the science mm-hmm. of axiology. And I find that tool, if you talk about helping people get the results they want and be who they are in the midst of all of that, I find that that tool helps them get a double header. Because to your point, everybody needs something different. One golf player needs to be reminded to start new, and another golf player needs to keep doing the same thing. But the assessments really help people see where their strengths are, helps their manager figure out how to help them be who they are more, you know, so they can be more successful. Tell me how you use the assessments with players, and then we can segue that into how leaders can use these tools. To me, it's one of the key elements is knowing yourself. As you can see, I mean, one of the themes of our conversation here has been individual differences and situational differences also. So you have to really know yourself to know what buttons to push and what moves to make. It's like, well, is that going to work for me? The common themes for me talking to baseball players would be, you know, this person says to do this, this person says to do that. What should I do? Especially in the minor leagues. Players get into the minor leagues and then they get bombarded with coaching. All these different coaches will say, hey, you should need to do this. Do this with your hands. Do this with your hips. Do this with your Consultants do that. And they get overwhelmed. Yeah. yeah, they get yeah. overwhelmed. What you got to do is figure out what you're good at and build that as a strength and understand what your blind spots are so you know where to look. So the assessment helps with both of those. I can say, hey, look, you've got a great teammate ability. You have great interpersonal relations skill. So you want to leverage that by getting your energy out onto being a great teammate. Instead of being stuck in on yourself when you have trouble, you get really negative on yourself. So as much as you can, don't think about yourself. Lever that strength of getting out to help other people, especially if that's something that's a motivator for them is helping yeah. other people. I had a major league player that's last week. I instead of somewhat unusual in my experience, but his top motivator was helping others. Again, mm-hmm. you want to take what the person really is motivated by and angle things toward that because that's what they're going to find fulfilling and satisfying and have them feel good and have you know, the chi flowing and have the energy yeah. flowing yep. freely is when they're aligned with who they are. So the assessment enables them to see, ah, this is my strength, this is what I love. It's like, I knew that, but it's helpful to see it on paper. You know, I might yep. see, well, this guy that is a hockey player, just one of those things, I'm sure it happens to you sometimes, where, where you have one conversation with a person and they just take off. You might have 15 conversations with someone else and they don't get worse, hopefully, but like I showed this hockey player, it's like, look, this high sees the big picture, understands the big picture of hockey, this conceptual hockey. It's like, that's really hot. You know, he's an eight something. But then all of his scores on his self view, he's like a hockey anorexic. <laughs> Looking at himself. Oh, really? so he's saying, oh no. Wasn't having harmony yeah. with his roles. Didn't know where his future went. Right. Yep. That's an interesting exactly. way to say it, so, a self anorexic. Yeah, I use it a lot because it's a distorted lens and guys in particular it seems to relate to a girl or you generally, I think is more yeah. often, look in the mirror and think that they look fat. You're like, 
Hey, yeah. miss. <laughs> no, you're going to yeah, have to mix in don't. a Snickers bar that or something is, because I'm gonna the distorted that. lens. So I said, now, what I want you to do is picture yourself or step out of yourself and see yourself on the outside as a player and think, oh, what would a good player do? He understands what a good player would do, yeah. but he has trouble seeing that for himself. So the practice was to hey, step out of yourself no matter what you feel, you're going to probably feel horrible. You're going to probably feel a lot of doubt and fear. Yeah. But just say, okay, what would a good player do now? And do that. And so we're trying to leverage that strength of the concept of a good player and then apply it to his weakness, which was just whatever he thought he about himself. himself. Not seeing his value. And he was like, oh, he took off. And then his dad's like, what did you say? And I'm like, <laughs> And I don't know what exactly what triggered, but, you know, and then you talk to the son. He said, I've told him that. I don't know. <laughs> but it just clicked the way it's presented. It's something about seeing it on paper. Yeah. You know, it's and I got science, a player. It's like and, a visual. It's like, ah, that's why I've been feeling that way. Or I am really hard on myself. It's not just words. It's like there's a visual representation. And if you're listening, what we're talking about is the dimensional balance page of the acumen part of the assessment, which measures clarity of thinking, how someone's thinking about themselves and others and how they make decisions. And it is an area, I call it under the hood. So I use a car analogy. Mm-hmm. So it's under the hood, you know, your current horsepower. And you can, you know, work under the hood and tune all that stuff up. And the higher or stronger or clearer the thinking is, the clearer you are about yourself and the world. And everything's coming easier or with less difficulty, I would say, I guess. Mm-hmm. What would you say? So it really, it's like anything else. It's like helping someone know or understand themselves. I had a guy that became a super high S. And it's like a competitive self, you know, steady. So slow down and think. And then we look at the axiology part. He had a very low score on the extrinsic, whatever you guys call it, the execution, you know, the physical. Yeah. And so he had a really low score. So it's like, look, man, what you're doing, you'll slow down and think about what to do. And so you're playing right into a weakness. Yeah. You don't think clearly in the domain that you are shifting into. It's like oh, you're going to look for help. Oh, what a great connection. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to look for help in a place where you don't see clearly. So, you know, more became about just getting out on the target and say, screw it, this ball's going there, and let your body just figure it out instead yeah. of trying to think it through and coach each muscle. I mean, I can go on, but those are some examples of how it ends up showing up when I use it for coaching where it's like what's my own son, 15 year old baseball player. It's like, okay, here's how he assesses out. He's a, a DI on the disc. And so he's very extroverted and talking and let's go fast. And so if he's not talking, if he's real quiet, then you know, he's not comfortable. Parent teacher conference. Oh, he's a very quiet, shy young man. You're like, what? Well, then he, then he, he is not comfortable in your class. Yeah. You know, because that is a long ways from who he is. And yeah. so when you, you know him take like that, at that age the acumen part as well or the axiology part? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Very helpful. Because yeah. he is super confident in his future. Yeah. And then not as much on the execution part. And that shows up as, well, he will believe in himself 
but a blind spot would be in how much work he should do today. Uh, you know, should I put the work in today? <laughs> I'm confident in my future. Okay. And I had a great, really high score on understanding baseball. You know, a great teammate, but then a six-ish on execution. So it's like that shows up as, oh, I know this. I got this. Like, yeah. No, you don't. Overconfident in an area that he might yeah. need to still work on. Exactly. So then when I can tell a coach that, it's like, watch out. He really does know, but count the repetitions he does. <laughs> you know, stay <laughs> you on him. Because... It's hell having a dad who's a baseball expert. <laughs> <laughs> hell or good, I don't know. Probably good. Probably exactly. So It's awesome. Well, awesome. so far, so, working out. It was interesting. I was at a baseball game, and it was only because my husband's company had tickets, and we were right behind home plate, the Braves, years ago. And I wrote an article about it. And at that point, Craig Kimbrell, I didn't know any of the players. I didn't, you know, I know the basics of baseball, but we were right there. I mean, we were right behind home plate, and you could see everybody and everything. And he came in as the relief pitcher, and he was on a streak at that point. And I knew the minute he walked up to the mound, talk about act big, play big, commit big, that he was going to strike them out and the Braves were going to win. I think all the bases were loaded and doing a terrible job of replay. You do a much better job. But it was interesting. I was thinking of it through the lens of the assessment, and I was thinking about axiology. And I was like, okay, he's feeling his role awareness, which is connection and harmony with the role. He knows who he is. Anyway, it was just uh, Mm -hmm. amazing how when you have that language, how you can start to look at yourself and at others through the lens of how clearly am I thinking right now in these areas and how am I feeling and then see how that shows up in performance. Exactly, exactly. And I didn't and know that's anything what's cool about when you're, or who he right? was. Well, in, a way, in a way, when you know that, you don't have to. I mean, it helps. It also can go the other way. I love talking to moms who grew up playing baseball. A lot of them are super sharp on baseball and a lot of them, they just go and support their son, and they see a different game. But to talk to the dad, it's like, yeah, he's in a slump. You know, he's he's getting long. His hands are getting out extended early, and he's got such a long swing. And the mom's like, well, I knew he wasn't going to get a hit when he walked out of the dugout. Well, you <gasps> could just you could just see it way he looked. I mean, both would be true, but there's different uh. ways to look at it. And being sort of naive in a sport can be a big advantage in terms of making some of those observations. I mean, what dad would say that? I mean, some maybe, but it's a not common. It's much more common a mom would say, we didn't look right. Well, and I think it's a human dad. tendency to focus on the mechanics of things. So mm-hmm. coaches do it all the time. You know, wear your hands, wear your feet, and then people get all like in their head and then they can't speak because they're now all worried about how they are physically, totally, as opposed to the mental, emotional part. Yep. And then then the thing is, it it isn't that it's not true. It's just, well, what is the most effective teach? You think of it for a leader. What should I focus these people on? What should I say to direct their focus that would be most effective? And I can't say exactly what it would be. It's like whatever produces the best result. Yeah. So Here's a couple ideas, but let's look at the person and see what they need. Yeah. You know, here's a cool example, if you have another moment, with the axiology with coaching, so leading. Well, this guy was a softball coach and he coached hitting and he scored, took the coaching version of it and he scored very high. This is on the part one, so the external as he's looking out at yep. the field. 
how good are you making value judgments? He had a systems thinking, so his concepts, conceptual thinking, 8.4, very high score. His yeah, the doing life. part, the hands-on part, 8.4. The intrinsic, like a 6.0. Okay. You know what to do, and you can see it as a big, oh, he goes, I can watch one swing. I just have to see one swing, and I could pick out six, seven, eight different things that she's doing wrong, and the one thing that she should work on to swing better. And it's like, well, that's great. You know, it's like her hip is turning open early, say. What if that's because her parents are going through a divorce and she's feeling pressure to get a college scholarship now, so she wants to hit home runs? <laughs> what if that's the driver? Oh, I said, that's what you're apt to miss because you'll see the hip and you'll be all over that hip. And you're right. You're absolutely right. Why is that hip going now? What is going on for this woman that is happening? That's going to be in that interpersonal domain that you may or may not be comfortable with. I'm just saying you're probably missing stuff in that domain that is then contributing to what you're seeing in the external and how it's matching or not matching your concept of what it ought to be. Yep. And so that's how that can show up. And that's such a common corporate thing that people are, Strong in the doing and strong in the systems, conceptual thinking, but not so much on the interpersonal. And that's not that they should. I'm just saying that that's well, been often a domain. If you want to make better decisions and get more buy-in, this is an area you can tweak if you choose to. You might want to <laughs> grow that. Exactly. You know, exactly. that's my thought because this is the area. Yep. I mean, we can always manage ourselves and we can always grow. And there's a great example of are they listening? Are they tuning into other people? You know, and if you're lower in this one intrinsic, what you're talking about, you tend to maybe offer solutions that don't land. So you've got the perfect yeah. solution, but they can't hear it because they either don't trust you, even though you're probably totally trustworthy. Somehow you've not gotten that buy-in. I love how you use that. I know you use it in corporate, but how you're also using it with athletes and like this coach. wonder if that coach made yeah. any any moves. Do you know? Could he hear it? Well, he responded like he heard it, but then again, it's a blind spot. So unless we can follow up with coaching yes. and ongoing observation, you, then it gets harder to know if you're making progress or not. Yeah. So and that wasn't part of the deal. It was just the one hour, take the assessment, do a debrief, and then do more Gave if you want. nugget. And we'll see where yep. he takes it. Hopefully he's mm. able to use it. And if not, that's okay too, right? Exactly. Great nugget. This has been so awesome. I love the stories and the things that you shared and the fact that we've been able to talk about axiology and how you use that. And I'm going to recommend to everybody that I'm going to have a list of your books in the show notes. The Play Big mm -hmm. book, I read part of it. It's a great story. It applies to so much more than just baseball. And it's a young man who's struggling in his game, and he has someone that he doesn't know coach him. It's so applicable to everyone's life. So I'm going to recommend that, plus your other books will be in there. What resources do you think leaders could refer to? What else would you suggest so they can bring the best of who they are to their work and have that double header that you talked about, get the results and be who they are? What are things that you recommend? I'd be remiss if I didn't point out my wife and my book called Who's yeah. What by When. It incorporates a lot of the big picture stuff, and it also focuses in on here's what to say to get commitment, you know, commit big. My wife is a coach 
she works a lot in government. She doesn't work in sports, but she works with leaders in different capacities and great with a group of people in a room, you know, a team in a room. And we wrote a book called Who Will Do It By When? It's really about commitment, getting commitment. And she refers to it as commitment management, commitment-based oh, organization. Yep. And where it's like essentially getting promises. Will you do X by Y? Yes, I will do X by Y. That's a clean handoff. Balls get dropped in football when it's not, it's like the quarterback, I think I'm going to give it to you. Are you on it? I'm not going to, it's like, shouldn't yeah, should I give it to you? All it gets time. dropped. I think corporate America drives me crazy. Oh, you leave a meeting and nobody's assigned who's doing what. It's yeah. all vague. And then everybody wonders why things didn't happen. With that book, which is about 10 years old now, Every bit is relevant. It's actually set in an insurance, but it's far from an insurance book. But it's certainly yeah. those little stories. Okay, that's great to know. Yeah. It's a story. You know, the guy was a successful salesman. Now he's a failing manager. And his integrity is out, meaning he doesn't do what he says. You know, chapter two, he's a half an hour late again to pick up his girlfriend to go to dinner. <laughs> she is a little yeah. not too happy about it. And so he's got the whole book to kind of get his girl back and get his team <laughs> on track before he runs out of pages. So it has to do with, well, here's getting a promise. Will you do X by Y? Yes, I will do X by Y. And then what do you do if you've made a promise and now you're not going to keep it? You can't keep all your promises, but you can honor them. How would I honor this? I made this promise. I do X by Y and I can't do it by then. I better tell the guy as soon as I, I know. I can't do it by Y. How about if I do it by Z? Okay, and there's a whole model for then, okay, what if a guy made you a promise but didn't deliver on it, nor did he come and apologize? What should I do skillfully so that I don't just pull a pin on a grenade and throw it into his office and run away? That's not (laughs) really going to be the most effective thing in the long run. And people read it and they'll be like, duh. You know, finally somebody wrote down the obvious things that I do. And other people will be like, oh, my gosh, I never thought (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So it strikes a chord with people and the throwing and catching of business is ah, yeah. relationships, but it's fundamental. A business is as successful as it, it is good at keeping promises or honoring promises. I mean, even the stats on like delivery companies, the one company had more errors, but the other company was perceived as less reliable because they didn't apologize the way that the other one yeah. did. Yeah. So they restored their integrity by saying, yeah. uh, we screwed up. Sorry, can we make it up for you? And there's languages to do it powerfully that respects that, you know, the big distinction of life to me is that we don't live in a universe. We live in a multiverse. Each of us has our own. And so we perceive things as being in a certain way and think that that's how they are. It's the reality myth, the belief that you see things as they are and that you and others see the same thing. Yep. You know, the belief that you see things as they are, it's like, yeah, that's how it is. That guy was out. And he's safe. That guy's a good manager. That guy's terrible man. Like, I tend to think I see the truth and that you would see the same thing. We all do that. How can you not see that? Right. And so, well, for example, my understanding was you said you would do X by Y. Was that your understanding? You see how respectful that is? I understood that we had disagreement. Did you understand that? Someone else said, I had us talking at 11 now. Is that what you had? In an email, like when the guy doesn't show up for a call. Yep. And the key is going to be that it isn't just that you can have text, like words. Hey, say these magic words. There's a ground of being that 
they have to be set a context for them. But nonetheless, it's helpful to yep. see ideas like that about, oh, here's skillful ways to do that. So anyway, that's a long and self-focused answer. Good. But no, I'll have I, a I really link think to it that in the show notes. And what I like about it is if you're talking about being a great leader, this is a skill build. I mean, being a great ball player is being able to do the basics really well. And so if this is a basic, I believe, and and you probably see it as well, there are a lot of leaders out there who don't really have all the basics, even though they're in a role that you would assume they do. And even still in today's environment where one might look on a national stage and think to the contrary, your word is still your most important business asset. Yeah. There we go. So yeah. this guy said, I'll do X by Y, or I'll meet you at noon at this place, and then is that person going to show up or not? And if yeah. he screws up another few times, he'll say, well, okay, I'll meet you there. It's like, uh, why don't you call me when you're there, and then I'll come, because yeah. you don't trust him. And, and you know what's interesting? Uh, you know where I correlate that, and I can think of some of my consulting clients, or people who are consultants who work with me or use the assessments, and I know them because I've had them take the assessment, sometimes where that is playing out in their assessment is the internals on what we call role awareness. They're not in harmony with their work. They're overwhelmed. That's not the only reason, but oftentimes I find that people who score lower in role awareness have a scattered focus, so they're not laser-focused in their role, and so they overcommit and underdeliver and it's not always a one-to-one correlation but it's interesting it'd be a way to grow role awareness for a leader in regard to getting more comfortable by understanding the skill set you're talking about exactly so we'll have a link to that in the show notes talk about what you do to get in the zone for yourself what are some things you do actions keys key tools mindsets what does dr tom hansen do to you well, uh, it's visualizing what I want to have happen. And better days are when I visualize what I want to have happen and when I have really clear targets. So, you know, getting myself in a state. This morning I get up and right now I'm got a nice run of doing these five Tibetan rites. There's five yoga-like moves that are good energy generators. And so I'm enjoying that. I've got a muse, which is a meditation device because on your head gives you feedback when you get real calm when you're meditating. When you get down to a real calm level, there's a bird that tweets, and then you're trying to, oh. trying to get so many birds tweets oh, in yeah. however long you meditate for. So I do that. I've been uh, doing a good job lately with smoothies, hitting the kale hard. That feels good. I, I know that if I eat celery, that I feel good. I am hitting the Pilates pretty hard the last couple of months. The real deal with the machines is fantastic. Yep. I've got both my hips are replaced and my right shoulder is very arthritic. Okay. So this has really been great for my body, yeah. And then as far as in the strategy, I love Dan Sullivan's free day, focus day, buffer day. Can you talk about that? No. Free days, you take a 24 hours with no focus on your work. Not easy to do for a lot of people. So you block it off. It's intentional. It's not accidental. You deliberately yep. say, okay, even the Sunday, Sunday, no work. Oh, but then I'll get ready at night. No, no, 24 hours. A focus day is a period where you've blocked it off and you're locked in and you're going to pick a project 
that you're going to work on in that time frame. And by design, it's about 80% of the day, not broken up, but, you know, from 8 to 2. It's blocked off. I have a day blocked off on my calendar just recurringly for a focused day. And so I just push appointments away from it because I already have it in there. You know, it's like you got to have something in there first. Otherwise, you start to... You know, the kids get build up. Yeah, that's a focus day. And it can be focus hours. A lot of corporate people I work with like, hey, see if you can block off two hours. Yep. And like you're talking to me right now, right? Yeah, okay, well, so you blocked off an hour for that, right? Yeah. So see if you can block off an hour for yourself. Start for little two hours me too. Yeah. To work on this project and then put that in before your calendar starts to fill up for the week. And then buffer day is where you do your to-do list. You do all the things that enable you to have a free day and a focus day. Focus mm-hmm. day, you're intentionally not doing the little things, the emails and the whatnot that would otherwise pick away at your day, but you have to do. And so that's on buffer day. And, you have, and so I found to be a really nice strategy as far as blocking off mm-hmm. time in the day. You know, say blocking off a couple hours and treating those two hours like a game. Yep. Like you do, you eat, and you do what you need to do to be locked in because I'm going to crush for two hours. For most people, if they could really crush in something two hours a day, that's a lot. Yeah. And you can get a lot done. And it also is a nice window where it's not like, oh, if I don't answer two emails for two hours, Rome isn't going to burn, you know. Yeah. It should be okay. But like a week, well, that's a big ask. Yeah. So those are love it. some ideas. Great. Mm-hmm. Great. Good, 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 good example. Lots of good role modeling going on there. If you can have one billboard to leaders and athletes about playing big, getting in the zone, being your best, what would it be and where would you put it? I got a couple of things vying for it. <laughs> one idea is, is adopt the belief that everything's always working out for me. Ah, uh, yes, my favorite. Yeah. yeah. I, I was in an Uber the other day. Day or lift. I was doing something for my wife and was asking about a successful marriage. It was 17 years. And we talked a lot of that. And I was getting out. I said, wait a second. No, none of that. I take all that back. The actual answer is if you have a belief that everything is always working out for me, then that, <laughs> that will carry you in a marriage a long way. Yeah. Oh. So I don't know how that's so like making a decision and making it right, you know, basically. Yeah. So the other was going to be that we're all headed for a box. My mom died in March, and then this co-author, I've mentioned a couple of times, Ken Revisa, he died. I'm going this weekend to his celebration of his life. It's really shook me quite a bit, and it's sort of like, well, you end up in front of the body. Your body does. I mean, you can take that as just the body or or more than that, but it's, so it's like, well, what do you want to do while you're here? You're not in a box now, but there is an end in terms of this current life as you know it. At least I don't want to kick up a kind of a big topic here, but I mean, I guess I, I am. But it's yeah. like this life that you're in right now, <laughs> what do you want to do with it? Because yeah. the clock's running. Might yeah. be a better way to put it. The clock's running and it's not infinite as far as this life right here. What's important to you? Then let's do that. Yeah. So something, you know, that wouldn't really fit on a big billboard, so I should go with the first one and say, everything's always working out. first word you said, we're all here for a moment, is that what you said? I didn't catch the exact words. Just for a short time, I mean. The clock's running. There is, yeah. And it's like, what is it that you want to do? 
And who do you want to be? Do it. And so, you know, back where I think when we were right before we pressed the button to start, it was like having fun. Really enjoy yeah. it. I want to enjoy being me. If you say, well, what's my goal for coaching someone? It's, it's that they would love being themselves. I love being me. I want that to be 10. That's true. It's like, yeah, I love being me. 10. That's always the target. It's the intrinsic valued intrinsically. So you're yeah, speaking axiologically. I love it. I remember a marketing so, gal asked me something early on what I was trying to do with my newsletter. And I said, well, I just want people to read it and for them to feel good and feel better about their day and maybe learn a little something and just feel good. And she's like, I've never heard that answer before. <laughs> like, I don't think that that's unusual, but it made complete sense to me. <laughs> we are in alignment yeah. there. We're all wrapping up. I know you've got talks that you're getting ready for to go give. So let's do the last two questions. And it's what advice would you give your 25-year-old self about what we talked about today? What would you tell yourself? Talking about the clock and uh, ticking. Lighten up and have more fun. Yeah. Yeah. It all works out. Lighten up and have fun. It's all going to go okay. As we close, one last bit of advice or wisdom you'd like every leader to take away from our discussion today about playing big, bringing their A game? What would you say? At some point, there was a highlight of the conversation, and then that was the thing for you. So put that into action today. Does that make sense? But it's not for me to pick out what would be the highlight for someone else, but they would know it based on they were really engaged at the time. So pay attention to when you were lit up in this conversation and then look to extend that out into taking some action. Awesome. We'll have comprehensive show notes so people will be able to go back and skim through those that highlight times and when different things were shared. And we'll have links to your books because that's a good bit of action that could be taken if any of that spoke to them or to anyone here. We'll have other links as well on the show notes. So. Well, I've heard you referred to as Super Tom, and you definitely are. Thank hey. you for taking time to be on here today. You're very welcome. I had a great time. Very time in my life well spent. Awesome. That's the way to do it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Love it. Thank you. So I hope you enjoyed the interview with Tom. And I'm just going to close with what I started with today. Are you, and it's Tom's quote, are you living a doubleheader? Are you doing game one? You know, in baseball, it's two games, right? And doubleheader, and you want to win both. Game one, doing all the results, things that you want, and also winning game two, enjoying being yourself. If either one of those games are not as strong as you want to be, consider Tom's challenge when we finished our dialogue. To listen to, go back and look at the show notes, pricelessprofessional.com forward slash zone number two. So just type zone two, consider his challenge where he said, hey, think about what most stood out for you during this conversation and take action. So you can look at the show notes to be reminded where we put the time or where things are. So you'll look at that. And you can also go back to my other interview, pricelessprofessional.com forward slash zone with coach Sarah in regard to enter the zone ideas. I guess I would say to you, do you remember, based on what I started with today when I talked about how much doing this podcast fills my gas tank, are you remembering what makes you feel alive? And are you focusing on that and integrating it into your day? 
and challenge you to take your assessment and note your top motivators. Just do more of them and find ways to integrate and appreciate what your preferences are because they are some of your greatest strengths. And so other things in the interview today that spoke to me so much was when he talked about Hank Aaron and visualization. That is something that I just probably in the last five years, I'm very action oriented. So I just want to take action and then I'll think about it later. (laughs) And I've switched that. And it doesn't matter what your style is. You can make that be different. Usually visualization. What Hank Aaron said is he'd see it before he played it. And I really liked his act big, breathe big, commit big, and then just do it. So hopefully those are some tools that you can begin using and other things in the podcast. So again, the show notes, pricelessprofessional.com forward slash zone two, and you'll get links to Tom's website, his books, and other related articles that we have on our website and other related podcasts to this topic. So I want to close with, at the end, I asked Tom what he does to stay in the zone in his own life, some actions that he's taking. And and I asked Sarah the same thing. I thought I'd share a couple of things that I'm doing in my life as I close this out to stay in the zone, enter the zone, manage my mental game, my physical game. So I'm bringing the best of me to what I do. And here's a couple of things. Mind-wise, I've always taken time to do tune-in time. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes because I talk about it a lot. It's taken 15 minutes a day to reflect, write, journal, pray, appreciate, meditate, just connect. And I call it tune-in time. What I want to do more of and on a regular basis is meditate. So I've decided because I feel like that will center me more, help me access my intuition more, just bring a calmer, more settled me to everything that I do. And I want to actually write about it. So I am taking time every day for 15 minutes, minimum of 15 minutes for 365 days straight to meditate for 15 minutes. And I'm in week four right now. And I have to say that the consistency is the thing that adds up. So in a year, 15 minutes a day is 92 hours. And 1% of your day is 15 minutes. So it's not a lot of time incrementally, but I'm interested in seeing how I feel. And I'm not doing it for a result, but I'm going to notice any results or wisdom that I tap into that I didn't have before as a result of meditating on a regular basis. Feels right to do it. And we'll see if I make it through 365 days. I believe I will. I'm using an app, Stick, S-T-I-C-K-K, to remind me every week to check in and take notes on how I'm doing. And then if I don't actually do every day that week, I have picked an anti-charity, something I don't agree with, that I will have to give them money. So that's my way of holding myself accountable. I like that Tom mentioned he's meditating on a regular basis and he's using the Muse trainer, M-U-S-E. So I need to look that up. I've heard about it. I may try that. And if I do, I'll report back at some point and share what I've learned and if I tried that tool. So that's some mindset things that I have been doing or that particular thing is the biggest new thing I've been doing. Body-wise, so that I feel good physically. I have a home gym here in my home here in Atlanta. And what I like to do is a combination of Kathy.com, C-A-T-H-E.com, weight training workouts. And she's awesome and they're tough. And it's like having a personal trainer right there with you. And then I have all of her 
CDs. So I do that at least three days a week, almost every week. And then I have a spin bike, a very nice spin bike, but I use the Peloton spin bike app, which is cool. It's like 12 bucks a month and you got classes on demand and you pick a class and it's like going to the gym. So it makes it easy when your schedule's really busy. I can do a 20 minute HIIT workout, which is high intensity interval training. And it's amazing how much that is. If I have time, I'll do a 45 minute, but it's amazing how much you sweat and how good it feels. So I highly recommend the Peloton. And if you already have a spin bike, just get the app and pay minimal amount every month. So doing something physical, I've always been into fitness since I was in my twenties. I used to teach aerobics. So that's an important part. It's very specific to me, but I do think we all should do things that help us feel good in our body because that is the vehicle through which we do our work as a leader, as a consultant, as an athlete. And so that body mind awareness, tying that together, I cover a lot of that in the book that I wrote. It's five years old now, but Recalibrate Daily, it's about stress management strategies. We talk about mind, body, and spirit in that book. But one last thing I'm going to mention, and it is this awesome breakfast that I've been doing, and I'm going to put links to all the products. It's a great way to start your day. And for me, I find that if I eat breakfast and I eat something with protein that's very healthy, I mean, I can go to one or two o'clock and not even be hungry. And it just is a great grounding kind of easy way to start. I use this coconut kefir. It's something you find at Whole Foods. It has all these amino acids and enzymes and vitamins and probiotics. It doesn't really have much taste, but it's nutrient rich. I'll put a link to that food so you can just see, and it has a link to where to find it. But it's a cultured food that acts as a natural antibiotic. It's been around for ages, kefir has. I take that, put a scoop of that. I use some unsweetened Kite Hill almond yogurt, which is high protein and has no sugar, no dairy, tasty. I get that at Publix or Whole Foods. Got to link all of this in there. There's an almond butter that I like. It's only dry roasted almonds. There's no preservatives or additives. There's no mold from peanuts or any of that. It's just they roast their own process. It's yummy. I order that from Amazon, put a scoop of Solutions 4. It's a nutritional shake that has protein, digestive enzymes, vitamins, and more probiotics. Put some organic blueberries in there. Sprinkle chia seeds, which have an an amazing source of omega-3 fatty acids, and they're rich in antioxidants. Have all of that, mix it all up, takes all of five minutes when you have the ingredients. The kefir, the Kite Hill almond yogurt, unsweetened, the almond butter, the scoop of nutritional shake that's not processed and has just great nutrients in it, the blueberries, the chia seeds, mix it all up and then have a little bit of half caffeinated, half decaffeinated coffee from Bulletproof Executive, which is also available at Whole Foods. It's our organic beans with no mold, no toxins, just really clean breakfast. It's my favorite thing these days to have for breakfast. So it's like, okay, it takes me five minutes to put it together, two minutes to eat it. And I am clear-minded, got all the nutrients in the world that I can use and I can work out. I can do about anything till about two o'clock and then eat. So it's very cool. So love sharing that because you just love finding something that makes you feel good. I like flooding my body with nutrition. You know, I just think that's awesome. Let's go back. The notes for today, pricelessprofessional.com forward slash zone two. You'll see all the links. 
And you'll also remember that the related podcast, when we talk about flow, episode number 46 and enter the zone is pricelessprofessional.com forward slash zone. The link to get a free audio book with a 30 day trial is audibletrial.com forward slash wake up eager workforce. Next episode, we're going to talk about the next wake up eager habit for leaders and it's activate greatness. That's the one where I'm starting to write a book. I'm working on the table of contents now. I want to remind you that we do have apps that are free for iPhone and Android. You can go to wakeupeagerworkforce.com to find the directory of all of our episodes. We're also on Twitter, Wake Up Eager, Facebook, Wake Up Eager, and on LinkedIn at Susie Price. So you can also reach out to me, pricelessprofessional.com forward slash Susie, S-U-Z-I-E, if you have any questions or ideas or suggestions. Go forth and have an awesome day. Thank you so much. Look forward to our next conversation and dialogue sharing with you. Take care. This episode of the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast was brought to you by Priceless Professional Development. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, head over to pricelessprofessional.com to gain access to more professional development resources. 